Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, June 17th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. Arizona, Texas, and Florida are reporting record surges as the coronavirus crisis continues here in the United States. The GOP-led Senate unveiling a major new police reform plan, but Democrats worry it does not go far enough to address ongoing abuse at the hands of some police departments. And the search intensifying for a missing soldier in Texas, a reward growing for information on Vanessa Guillen's disappearance. This and much more today on You News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. Let's begin with the very latest on the pandemic. Arizona, Texas, and Florida are all reporting their largest one-day increase in new cases. The governor of Texas urging people to follow safety protocols, while in Florida, the governor is determined to keep moving forward with reopening. All this, as the vice president says, we should celebrate the success of how the pandemic has been handled. At least 21 states are seeing an uptick in daily new coronavirus cases over the past week. Ten of those states seeing a spike of 50% or more. Florida reporting almost 2,800 new positive cases in the last 24 hours, the state's largest single-day spike. But the governor forging ahead with reopening. No, we're not shutting down. You know, we're going to go forward. You have to have society function. Explaining that the rise is due to more testing and a surge in cases among migrant workers and prisoners. But in Jacksonville, set to host part of the Republican National Convention in August, a small outbreak has forced several beach bars and restaurants to shut their doors again this week. 16 people contracting the virus at one bar. At the time, it was more out of sight, out of mind. We hadn't known anybody who had it personally. Um, governor, mayor, everybody says it's fine. We go out. It's a friend's birthday. It was a mistake. In Arizona, hospitals overwhelmed, urgently calling for more ICU nurses. It's unmistakable that um, the reopening of my state of Arizona back on May 15th really did precipitate that rise, the, the start to this surge. In Texas, the governor threatening businesses with removing their liquor license if they refuse to implement safety measures. COVID is a fraud. It is a scamdemic. This as nationwide, the battle continues between pro-mask and anti-mask supporters. The two groups facing off in Santa Ana, California on Tuesday. Some want the county to reinstate the rule requiring everyone to wear one in public. Others vehemently oppose the move. But experts say wearing a mask is the only way we'll be able to fight the virus and still keep the economy going. If we each are wearing masks, then we can help reduce the spread of the virus and we can keep it contained in a way that we can manage to take care of the people sick enough to need to be hospitalized. Meanwhile, Vice President Mike Pence making a stop in Iowa without wearing a mask, downplaying the severity of the coronavirus as President Trump encourages states to ramp up their economies more quickly. Pence writing in a Wall Street Journal op-ed, the media has tried to scare the American people every step of the way and these grim predictions of a second wave are no different. We've slowed the spread, we've cared for the most vulnerable, we've saved lives. That's a cause for celebration. In Tulsa, where the president is set to hold a rally on Saturday and where masks won't be required, health officials are reporting an uptick in cases. 
A group of Tulsa residents and business owners are suing to prevent Trump from holding the rally, expected to be at full capacity at a venue that holds more than 19,000 people. In Miami, Lorraine Casares, U News. One day after President Trump signed an executive order aimed at addressing the national outcry over police brutality, Senate Republicans unveiled their own plan. Claudia Uceda has all the details. Claudia. Senate Republicans unveiled their police reform proposal. It's called the Justice Act, and this is a response to all the protests that we have seen around the country over the death of George Floyd and other black Americans. Now, this bill includes an enhanced use of force database, restrictions of chokeholds, expand the use of police body cameras, and create new commissions to study law enforcement and race. Republican Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina introduced the bill, and this is what he said. Let's listen. Too often we're having a discussion in this nation about are you supporting the law enforcement community or are you supporting communities of color? This is a false binary choice. It, the answer to the question of which side do you support, it's I support America. And if you support America, you support restoring the confidence that communities of color have in institutions of authority. The proposal comes after House Democrats proposed a far more sweeping reform more than a week ago. House Democrats proposed a measure that bans chokeholds and no-knock warrants. The House is expected to vote on his own bill next week, but in, Mitch McConnell, the, the Republican the leader in the Senate, has already the, uh, said that they won't consider it, so yeah. there are doubts Agreed. that that a deal can be reached in Congress. And Democrats are calling this bill insufficient. We can expect a vote in the Senate as early as next week. Now back to you. Thank you, Claudia Uceda in Washington, D.C. As Republicans released details of their plan yesterday, President Trump addressed the issue of police violence. He signed an executive order on police reform and met with several families whose loved ones were killed by police officers. However, there are mixed reactions to the president's plan. President Trump sending a law and order message in the Rose Garden. Americans want law and order. They demand law and order. They may not say it. They may not be talking about it, but that's what they want. Some of them don't even know that's what they want, but that's what they want. The executive order on police reform focuses on guidelines and establishing a national database to track excessive use of force, while offering funding incentives for police departments that increase training and meet Justice Department standards. These standards will be as high and as strong as there is on Earth. Without offering details, the order also encourages prohibiting the use of chokeholds with an exception. Chokeholds will be banned except if an officer's life is at risk. The president also saying that police misconduct is rare, boiling down to a few bad apples. But Democrats say this isn't enough. Unfortunately, this executive order will not deliver comprehensive meaningful change in accountability in our nation's police departments that Americans are demanding. I don't think that we see eye, and eye to eye about the systemic issue of racism in America. He did acknowledge in his executive order that 
the African-American community has been the victims of uh, targeting by law enforcement. Before the event, Trump met privately with families whose loved ones have been killed by police, including the mother of Ahmaud Arbery, who was gunned down while jogging in Georgia. I would like um, change to be implemented by the passing of Ahmad, because Ahmad didn't have to leave the way that he left. Um, I think that we should continue to fight and stand together for change. And the president also made this promise. Your loved ones will not have died in vain. And some of the new programs the president mentions cannot get off the ground until Congress funds them. And joining us now is Kalfani Tour. He's a professor of criminal justice at Quinnipiac University and also a former Atlanta police officer. Professor Tour, what, in your opinion, is the most important piece in the proposed legislation to address police reform? And thanks for joining us, by the way. Sure. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, there are several aspects of the Justice Act offered by the Republicans, uh, the executive order offered, offered by President Trump, and also there are important things with the Democrats' uh, Justice uh, in Policing uh, Act uh, that they offered. I think one of the more important ones is the National Registry, uh, so that uh, police officers cannot just move from agency to agency with um, these sort of notable incidents of racialized violence. Um, and, and there are a couple of other important acts, obviously, around training and de-escalation. Um, but I think what's more important is what's missing from the discussion as offered by the Republicans as well as offered by the president and also by the Democrats, which is to say that we are reluctant to have a conversation about the ways in which uh, police agencies, some 18,000 police agencies around the country, uh, help to maintain structural inequality or are asked to police vulnerable and disadvantaged, disenfranchised communities where structural inequality is rampant. Ending qualified immunity is not part of the Republicans' proposal. Now, this shields police officers against lawsuits emanating from their actions. Is it time, in your opinion, to put an end to qualified immunity? Absolutely. The Supreme Court came up with this idea of qualified immunity uh, if, in fact, someone who's working in official capacity uh, uh, commits some act, whether intentionally or unintentionally, uh, you have to have some type of penalty and or damages to make the affected party whole. I mean, this is just standard practice. All right, as part of our courts. And so the idea that police officers cannot be held, one, criminally responsibility, responsible, but then also civilly responsible, doesn't help to correct bad practices, right? It allows officers, you know, carte blanche immunity, uh, and it doesn't really signal to police departments that we want you to be friend citizens and not, you know, uh, uh, you know, agents of violence without impunity. And, and I'm saying this with, with an understanding that as a former police officer who didn't work for Atlanta Police Department, I worked with three police agencies in the metropolitan Atlanta area, that, that policing is hard and it's difficult. And we work often in really dangerous situations, but we also have to be held accountable. And I think every police officer will want that because it's about the profession. 
There's something else that's not included, and that's a federal ban on chokeholds. What's your thought on this? Is this something that's needed? We heard the president say the only exception is if an officer's life is at risk. Well, certainly if an officer's life is at risk uh, in that situation, um, you use what means necessary in order to extricate yourself from uh, that threat or potential death or injury. Um, However, in most of the cases where chokeholds are used, um, if, if, at least as of late, uh, these are multiple officers on the scene, and certainly none of those officer lives are in danger, whether it be chokeholds or other forms of positional asphyxiation. Now, the problem here is, is that the Republican Party under Tim, Senator Tim Scott says that we won't talk about um, you know, chokeholds, but in effect, we, through denying resources to police agencies, we ban it. No, we need an explicit declaration that chokeholds are prohibited uh, because it creates too much ambiguity. Uh, and in fact, thinking about the sort of uh, the immunity, qualified immunity, one of the conditions of qualified immunity is, you know, is the act by the officers committed unconstitutional and has it been established as such? If you don't have explicit uh, discourse around what is prohibited and what is not prohibited, then an officer simply can claim, hey, I was never trained or there's just too much lack of clarity around the use of this technique uh, to control uh, a suspect. Well, thank you so much, Professor Kalfani, for your time, for expressing your thoughts on this from Quinnipiac University. Take care of yourself. Thank you. In Texas, the search is intensifying for 20-year-old Vanessa Guillen, an immigrant rights group now adding to a reward in the hopes of finding the missing soldier. The reward for information that could help solve the disappearance of 20-year-old Vanessa Guillen, the U.S. Army soldier that went missing at Fort Hood in Texas on April 22nd, has been raised to $50,000. LULAC President Domingo Garcia said that his organization is adding $25,000 to the other $25,000 the Army is already offering. Members of the Guillen family and Texas Congresswoman Silvia Garcia were present at the announcement. Vanessa's mom, Gloria, plead for a resolution of the case. For the love of God, I beg you to help me. I cannot handle this much more because I can't sleep and my health is deteriorating, Gloria says. Domingo Garcia explained how the information can be shared. This information will be confidential and anonymous, so you can call our LULAC org and leave your name, number, and information. We'll contact you and we'll protect that confidentiality. Congresswoman Silvia Garcia said that she has had two video conference meetings with the Army coronel in charge of the investigation. And yesterday, he confirmed that they are now looking into harassment allegations raised by Vanessa to her mom before she disappeared. And, uh, However, she is not they, satisfied. They, they did not tell us too much. Uh, and uh, I, I, you know, we keep working on making sure that we can go and, and see what they are doing so that we can see for ourselves. And I know that that's the same thing the family wants to do. 
Mrs. Gloria also stated that she did not see anything out of the ordinary in Vanessa's behavior in the last video that captured her at a Mexican food restaurant near the military base. I know her well and I did not see anything strange. You cannot imagine how I felt when I saw my daughter in the video. It was something of my God, of my daughter, Gloria said. The case has gained national attention and now Mexican actress Salma Hayek has joined the campaign. The U.S. Army is also offering $25,000 for any information related to the location of Gregory Morales, another soldier who went missing at Fort Hood in August of 2019. The Guillem family announced they has hired an attorney that will be joining them in person this coming Thursday for a meeting that they will have with military authorities at Fort Hood. In McAllen, Texas, Pedro Rojas, U News. a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. In Beijing, at least 29 neighborhoods are under lockdown after a new cluster of coronavirus cases emerged linked to a food market. The latest outbreak of infections has spread to nine of the city's 16 districts. All students from kindergarten to middle schools have had their classes suspended because of the situation, while final year students in junior and high schools will return to online courses. And after more than three weeks without any new coronavirus infections, New Zealand announced two new cases. Two women arriving from the UK to visit a dying relative have now tested positive for COVID-19. Contact tracing is now underway for the potential spread, including people on the same flight. New Zealand lifted almost all coronavirus restrictions last week, though the country still maintains strict restrictions on entering the country. Russian President Vladimir Putin isn't taking any chances when it comes to the pandemic. A special tunnel has been installed at his residence, one that is designed to spray a disinfectant on anyone who passes through it. Russian state media described the disinfectant spray as a fine water mist. And back in April, Putin's spokesman said anyone meeting with the Russian president would have to take a coronavirus diagnostic test and all meetings would be held with social distancing in place. Russia has reported more than 550,000 coronavirus cases and nearly 7,500 deaths, according to data from Johns Hopkins University. And with cases surging in Brazil, the country says it will expand the use of hydroxychloroquine to treat COVID-19 in children and pregnant women. The announcement came as the country's health ministry blasted the FDA in the U.S. for saying the drug is unlikely to be effective in treating the virus. The World Health Organization has also announced it is temporarily halting studying hydroxychloroquine because of safety concerns. But Brazilian authorities say the drug has showed some good results. For those facing deportation from the United States, a new life in another country can bring fear and uncertainty. Romina Leon introduces us to a young web designer who, after self-deporting to Mexico, faces a new life in a country she barely knows. 
This is how Diana Sanchez arrived at the airport in Mexico City, carrying a backpack with her entire life in it. The young deportees who welcomed her gave her a t-shirt to remind her that the Mexican dream exists. An idea that was born in her after a traffic incident in California. It all started in 2011, when unfortunately I was arrested and they put me in a detention center. From that point on, getting a U.S. work permit was more difficult for this web programmer, who was brought to the U.S. by her parents when she was just four years old. In three decades, she never was able to legalize her immigration status. I'm going to apply for some jobs and not being able to do more or earn more just because I'm not a resident, well, that really affected me. She was subject to increasing amount of discrimination. And after George Floyd's death, the situation became intolerable. The youngest ones will go and slap the Latinos. There's a lot of racism, a lot of discrimination, a lot of violence. I do feel like I'm getting away from it. So like many, during this health crisis, Diana voluntarily left Stockton, California. She is now self-deported. Right now, I want to go to my Airbnb to rest a little and see more or less how the pandemic is here. We've been in touch with her for months. We are already supporting her, finding a job and where to live. Diana wants to see the pyramids of Teotihuacan and visit her grandmother in Michoacan. But her father, Juan Sanchez, who works as a mechanic in California, is in pain. She is perfectly bilingual, and here she studied up to high school. And I wish with all my dad's heart that she will come back soon through the big door. I just want them to be proud of me. Reported by Jessica Sarmeño in Mexico City, Romina León, U News.